Um, I want to introduce myself. My name's Patrick. I haven't been here in a while. So I, I do actually work here, uh, occasionally preach. I think I'm supposed to preach more often than I do. Thanks, Travis. Um, but we have been, uh, we've been doing a lot of traveling. Um, I actually, uh, let's see, how did I do this? I went up, we were way down south, meeting with a community uh, way down, uh, not quite to the, uh, the equator, but uh, pretty far down south, and we were talking with people, meeting people we haven't seen uh, in about 24 months. It was really good to be down there. And then we went way up north. We were like almost to Canada, uh, quite the drastic change. And we were with a community of teens up there, up at Teen Camp, which is, which is an awesome community if you've ever uh, done anything like that. And then we went south again. Uh, I took my daughter down to her college orientation in Nashville. And uh, it was, you know, it was kind of cool because we didn't, I didn't go to Nashville thinking I had a community down there, but I posted on my story, you know, flying to Nashville. And then I just got all these texts saying like, okay, here's some places to eat. You know, do you have time? Can we get coffee? And I'm like, oh man, I know a lot of people in Nashville. In fact, we had, uh, we had gotten a hotel to, uh, to stay while we were down there. And it turns out it was very good that we did not stay in this hotel. The pictures online look much better than when you drove by. And, uh, but there was a, there's a family that used to live in Woodbury that left Woodbury to move to Nashville before I ever showed up. And somebody arranged us to stay with them. And it was so cool. I'll tell you a little bit more about that. And it was much better accommodation. Gave them a five-star review on Yelp. It was very, very nice. Uh, but we were, you know, we, we've been all over the place. But when we stepped onto this campus, I was, I don't know, like, as a, I'm an extrovert. I don't know if that comes as a surprise. I'm whatever number on the Enneagram the extroverts are. And I just think of myself as like, oh, just interact, strangers, no problem. I don't, that doesn't drain my emotional battery. Uh, but my daughter, Taya, she stepped onto that campus and it was amazing. She immediately began creating community. Like she was like going around, like introducing herself to all these other freshmen. And you could tell everybody was like, all these other kids were like wide-eyed, what's happening, where am I, what's going on? And she like immediately went in, like, what's your name, what's your major, hey, let's get together, what's your number, like created this community. By the end of the day, during this orientation, she had gathered around her about 15 other freshmen or so, and they were just like, they had community. It was so, it was so cool, and it made me as a dad feel pretty good about uh, what she's entering into. Um, and then next week, we are going to have dozens of volunteers and dozens of kids, dozens upon dozens of kids. I don't know what the final number is now, but once it went from 90 minutes to uh, like two and a half hours, the numbers went up. You parents are like dropping my kids off at VBS. And we're going to have community here with a bunch of elementary age kids. And it's going to be, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, if, you're, if you're still wondering about that, you can ask Logan. It's going to be a, a lot of fun. But community. Um, I have been away from home for 20 of the last 30 days. So the last month period, I've been away from home for 20 of those days. And I've been thinking about the idea of home a lot. Been thinking about what it means. What does home mean? Listening to the sermons online. And the central idea in this series has been that one of the main uh, metaphors that Scripture uses to describe this community of believers is this idea of home, of household, family. That's one of the main ideas that Scripture uses to describe what it means to be part of a body like this. 
Now, for some people, that is a beautiful metaphor because you think about like all the times we've helped one another move. Like some of you have never paid for movers because you just email somebody at church and then all of a sudden there's like 20 people at your door, you know, helping you move stuff and 20 below zero because that's kind of what families do. Or, or I, when I was thinking about family, thinking about like just taking care of one another's kids and, you know, the babysitting and the things that happen, driving one another to the airport, visiting one another at the hospital, getting excited when we hear that there are members of our family who are having babies. I mean, we got to grow this church one way or the other, and if that's what we got to do, that's what we got to do. So we're excited for new life, new babies in the church. Uh, But we're also excited to hear that people have like, you know, they went to the doctor, they got bad news, and we prayed for them, and then they got good news. Like, we, we rejoice with one another. That's family. But then we hear tough things that are going on and we pray for one another. That's family too. We're excited to honor our seniors who are heading out to their own, make their own mark in the world. We're excited for that because that's family. It's what family does. We, we rejoice and we grieve. On the other hand, let's, let's be fair, fair, there's real tension in that metaphor. There's real difficulty in that metaphor because maybe for you, the idea of family doesn't dredge up a lot of happy memories. Uh, You know, the classic, maybe your family puts the fun in dysfunction. Maybe your family was not one of those things that you want to to remember a lot of. And it's not like to to talk about church as family doesn't make you feel good. Um, Let's be real honest. Maybe your experience at church has not been good. And we're grateful that you came, but maybe it's not been a good experience at church where you know there's a reality and a truth out there, but the church body that you have been around your entire life has not lived up to those expectations. And maybe, and let me say this, and this is hard, but maybe your experience here at the Woodbury Church has not been good. It's not been positive. And every week we're talking about church's family and church's belonging and you're sitting there and it's, it just feels like it's a weight because you don't feel that. And, and I think it's important for me to say, man, if that is your experience, I feel that deeply. Like I honestly, I take that on personally when people are like, I'm just not feeling connected at church. I'm like, what did I do wrong? You know, I messed up. I must have not done something because the church is supposed to be this community and it has not always been that for everyone. Some people feel like they're on the outside looking in and that is, that's painful. And I think we have to be honest about that and be honest about where we've fallen short. And, and into that, like into that difficulty or that tension, let me say just two quick things. God is not surprised that you've had a difficult church experience, whether it's been somewhere else or here. God is not surprised at that. And yet he still uses the metaphor of family to describe what it should be. He still uses that. He still calls us to, to follow that ideal. But, but secondly, that disappointment that you may feel, that, that I mean, as, as painful as that is, that actually points towards potential for what church family could and should be. You're actually acknowledging like there is a reality that we can, we can work toward. And that's a good thing. So, so even though it may be frustrating or there may be disappointment, it actually points towards this potential. So in this last sermon in this series, we're going to tackle this question. And it's this. How do we discover that perfect sense of belonging, that belonging that gives life? How do we discover that perfect sense of belonging with the imperfect people that make up church family? 
I, I mean, because we've fallen short. There are times where you had something difficult going on in your life and nobody gave you a call to give you encouragement. There are times where maybe you were sick and you were in the hospital and nobody showed up. There were times where, hey, you missed a few Sundays and nobody called and you're just sitting there at home thinking like, well, do I even matter? You know, Patrick didn't text me and say, hey, where have you been? There are times where we imperfect people have fallen short and yet scripture continues to point us to this beautiful idea of what church family is and should be. I mean, that's why we use that language of church family rather than just saying church. Church just feels like a little bit of a sterile concept or a sterile word. We want to be family. We long to be that. How do we discover that when we all are imperfect and we all fall short? I want you to take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of Mark, chapter 10. Mark, chapter 10. I'm going to walk you through a familiar story, and you're going to think you know what we're talking about, and I guarantee you that you do not. Uh, But it's a familiar story, one you've heard lots of times, and we just, we stop too soon in the story, and we think we got the point, and we we missed the point. But in Mark, chapter 10, there's this just famous story, it's in three of the four Gospels, and it's this young, successful, powerful man who has, by all metrics of culture and society, has, has arrived. He has achieved what culture tells us you need to achieve in order to feel success. Culture just impresses on us that you need to be wealthy, that you need to have power, and that you need to be young over and over and over again. And this guy has all of those things. He has it all. And he has arrived and he got there and he's looking around thinking, this cannot be it. This cannot be all there is to life. There there has to be something more. And you can see in this person, this searching, this desire to kind of know more, to dig in more, to understand more. And then into the scene shows up this guy, this rabbi named Jesus, who seems to be helping people figure out what life is all about. And so this successful, powerful young man rushes up to Jesus to say, okay, I need you to tell me what life is all about. What do I need to have life? And they have this conversation and kind of the the end result is Jesus says, I I know what you need to do. You're not going to like it, but here's what you need to do. You need to give up everything and follow me. And I, I, I think, I suspect that this kid kind of knew that was coming. I think he knew that his power and his wealth was, was a, a roadblock to his relationship with God. And it says, the text actually says he walked away sad. This is a picture depicting that moment from an uh, uh, artist by the name of Heinrich Hoffman, uh, painted in 1889. It's one of the more famous depictions of that interaction of this, this kid walking away sad, which I think is kind of fascinating because we, if we think anybody would be good at outreach and evangelism, it would be Jesus. But there were still people that walked away from him. And so when we read that story, we always walk away with the lesson like, wow, yeah, yeah, power and money, they just, you know, they're a really strong temptation and we just got to watch out for that. We really got to, really got to work on that. But the story story doesn't end there. There's more. And you can just imagine that they're having this interaction, you know, it doesn't go the way anybody expects it to go. I think Peter maybe was expecting to be able to tell this really cool story about how they recruited one of the young, powerful young men in society and they got him on our side. Now he's following Jesus and it's going to be this great story and he's going to be able to go around and talk to other people about that and see, hey, we got this guy, we got this guy, we should get you too. And this guy walks away sad and they can't use him anymore. And, and I think Peter's gears are turning. He's thinking like, oh, man, that did not go like I thought it would go. You have to leave everything and follow me. And then Peter, of course, and he's, this is something I, I identify with so much, because when there's awkward silences and nobody knows exactly what to say, 
I am more than happy to come in and fill those awkward silences with just the worst possible imaginable thing that you could say in that moment. I do that. It's just something about the tension of that moment, and I just say it, and it's just like, oh, that was the wrong thing to say. And I feel like Peter and I are, are, are brothers in this, because Peter says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 29, he says, uh, by the way, Jesus, we have given up everything to follow you. And I think Peter's looking for a little pat on the head, pat on the back. Hey, nice. Nice work, Peter. Good job. You're one of the good ones, man. And, and that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says something really surprising. And it, it, this whole story takes a left turn because we started off with the story thinking like, okay, it's about power and wealth and, and it's about youth. And, and it turns out like it's, it's something different. Um, we have left everything to follow you. So, so what, is, what, is Jesus, what does Jesus say? He says, truly, this is verse 29, truly I tell you, and Jesus replied. And when he says that, Jesus is saying like, hey, listen up. I'm not just saying words here. Truly, I tell you, what I'm about to say is for real. Truly, I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel, verse 30, will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children's fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. That is not what I was expecting Jesus to say at all. I, I was expecting Jesus to say, gold star, Peter, you get an A on the test. Awesome. Keep it up. Keep up the good work. And he says something different. He, he relays a promise. And this is incredibly crucial for this, the, this question that we're exploring today. Um, I want you to notice two features. It's going to take a second to wrap our minds around what Jesus is saying here because it's one of those moments where you kind of glance through and you think, okay, I got it, and you move on, but you don't got it. But think about what he's saying here. There's two features that we need to draw our attention to. Number one, he says, in the present age. In the present age. No one who has given up will fail to receive in the present age. Uh, there's a very uh, popular, I don't know, theology is too strong a word because it's not enough, it's, it's fault. But a popular notion among Christians or churches today that if God really is all-powerful and he really is all-good, that you, if you are truly following him, God would bless you and Christians should probably be driving the nicest cars and living in the nicest houses and wearing the nicest clothes and having the nicest watches. And those things, are a, those material blessings are a sign of God's favor. So the most well-attended church in the United States is a church that espouses what we call the prosperity gospel. It is a very appealing message. And then the problem is, is the flip side, is if you live in a dump and drive a clunker, then God must not love you. That's the flip side that doesn't get talked about often, but most people don't live in the nicest house and don't drive the nicest car, and we think, well, maybe God doesn't love me then. That's the problem with that philosophy. But when you first read this verse, it, it strikes you a little bit like that. It's, Jesus is saying, here and now, right here and right now, you will not fail to receive a hundred times more. That, what's he getting at? Like, why would he say that? That doesn't sound right. See, the problems with the prosperity gospel, well, there's really two problems. The, the, one of them is, is the Bible doesn't teach that. It's a minor problem. Sometimes that doesn't really matter to theolo people's theology, but the Bible doesn't teach that. The other problem that I think is a little bit more major is that Jesus, the person that we follow, that we would say was most honored by God, most glorified by God, most blessed by God, 
died young and broke. He died young and broke. I mean, if the prosperity gospel is true, then Jesus did not make the cut. He should have been driving around in whatever the first century version of, you know, uh, I don't know, cattle. I don't know what's the nicest car out today, you know, because my car, I'm just trying to keep it from falling apart on the road. Whatever the nice car is, a Tesla, I don't know, the camel version of a Tesla. Jesus didn't have that. So it's interesting. Like, what does he mean you'll receive all that stuff now? But, but notice the second feature of the text. Take a look at the category of the promise that he's making. He's saying homes, brothers, sisters. Mothers, children, fields. Fields feels like a non sequitur there. You're like, where did fields come from? I get everything else. What's the category of thing he's talking about here? Family. Family. Uh, little secret, Jerry said in on the first sermon, so he's kind of got like... <laughs> he's trying to impress you all, but he already heard this. Yeah, this is the category of things being talked about. Will not refail, fail to receive homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers. What he's saying is, is if anybody has walked away from any of that. Now, fields, why fields? Because fields was the family legacy, the family livelihood. It still is. People who own lots of land are still pretty wealthy today. And if you have to choose between sticking with your family and following Jesus, anybody who's had to leave any of that family to follow Jesus will not fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present life. We, we don't understand family in the same way. I mean, family's important, right? We're not just friends, we're family. How do you know that you have arrived as a family member in a family that you're not blood related to? How do you know that? There's two ways. These are scientifically proven, which means I'm about to make it up. Two ways. Number one is if you can walk in the front door without knocking. That is how you know your family. Family does not knock at the front door. Liam only knocks at the front door when he gets locked out because his sister locked him out. Otherwise, he just walks right in. The second way, and you know this, and this, this is true, it's a universal truth. The second way that you know your family is when you can open up the fridge and take anything you want without asking. Because not even the kids can do that. <laughs> Only, only like real deep, true family can like open up and get in somebody's fridge without asking. That's when you know your family, right? That's how you get that you're connected and you're deeply connected with somebody. So modern society kind of understands family, but we have really, and this is important, we've really siloed out and outsourced a lot of what family was intended to do in our modern society. If you lived in the first century, family was your social network, Family was your safety net. It was your welfare system if something went wrong. Family was your health insurance if you didn't have, uh, if you couldn't work for a living. Family was your retirement. Family was your well-being. And if you had to walk away from that, you weren't just like saying, I'm going to live in another state. You were saying, I am walking away from everything in life that is going to keep me safe. And if this doesn't work out, I am in trouble. Family was so deeply connected to who you were as a human being. Jesus is saying, if you ever have to choose between family and me, if you give up, you are going to receive 100 times more family in this present life. Amen. This is actually really important, whether you realize it or not. This is really important. Anyone who has to leave their community of loving, supporting relationships will discover an even greater community of loving, supportive relationships. Anyone who has had to leave home will find home a hundred times more.
Oh, that's interesting. I, I, I think we need to put some meat on these bones because I think we're beginning to see where he's going here. We're, gonna, we're, we're beginning to see, yeah, he's not talking about big houses and fancy cars. He's talking about something else. And he's very clear about it in the text. We just kind of get confused as we read it. Um, I grew up as the churchiest church kid that you can church. That's what I grew up as. Uh, anything, there, there, the idea of extracurriculars in church did not exist. If we had something going on at the church, I was there. Ladies' fellowship, Patrick's got to go. Men's fellowship, Patrick's got to go. Elementary stuff, Patrick's got to go. He may not be doing the thing, but he's got to help in some way. He's got to prepare. He's got to do something. Um, the church, there was no extracurriculars. And I loved it. I mean, I loved Bible classes. I mean, I can't wait till we can get back to the Bible classes. I loved Bible trivia. I love showing off how much I know about the Bible when I was a kid. I, I don't love it anymore. No, it's not true. I still love it. But I, I still like, like, I was the churchiest church kid. This is true, and I confirmed it in the first service. I was, we were such a churchy family that when we went on road trips, we didn't fly anywhere. We never flew anywhere. Flying's for like the, you know, the, the elite. We, we drove everywhere. So we'd drive across cross country to see my family, and we, I was asking my parents this morning, I was like, did we ever stay in a hotel in the entirety of my 18 years of living at home? Never did. You know where we stayed? People's houses. Like, oh, did you know the people? Not always. But we knew somebody that knew somebody that knew somebody that went to church with somebody that used to roommate somebody, and we stayed with them. It was all church stuff. Like, these were like distant second cousins, and we stayed with them. Never stayed in a hotel room. I remember when I, grad, when I left home and the first time I got a hotel room, I was like, are you kidding me? 75 bucks to stay in a hotel? That's ridiculous. And then I realized 75 bucks will only get you like a roach-infested, greasy slime bucket of a room. Like, that's, are you kidding me? We could stay in such nicer places if we just stay with church family. In fact, it happened on this trip to Nashville. I was all set to go. We were going to go to this hotel. I had got it reserved. Online pictures look really good. And then somebody said, hey, why don't you stay with this former Woodbury family? Well, this former Woodbury family left Woodbury 16 years ago. I came to Woodbury 14 years ago. We never crossed paths. And they said, no worries. I'll call and set it up. Texted a couple hours later. They're like, you're good to go. You're staying. It was such an, it was such nice accommodations. In fact, we got there that night. They set us down in the living room and they said, okay, here's what you need to know for college. And they set us down and like good grandparents said, here's how you can be successful at college. Taya, do you remember what they said? What, were the, what was the sum of what they said? Say no to sin, say yes to fun. Tell me that doesn't sound like grandparents. We need to print t-shirts for all our college grads. No to sin, yes to fun. You know, that was, what's a, what a great theme. It was awesome. It was so good. And they said, here's how you can be successful. Here's what you want to avoid. Here's what you want to do. It was wonderful. People that we've only got these tangential relationships through other people in church set us down and treated us like grandparents. Isn't that cool? How cool is that? That's amazing. We are like, like we, I have never had to give up family, but I've got so much family. I grew up in an era of church where people who were not your parents could discipline you at church. And I'm not saying time out. I'm saying other parents who were not your parents could spank you at church. You know how quickly CPA would get here, like, or CPS? We would be calling the police if that happened now. 
but we could get in trouble from other parents. Like, or it, we just, there wasn't getting away with anything. Why? Because when you were at church, you had hundreds of moms and dads. You didn't have one mom and dad, and as soon as they were out of sight, you could do whatever you want. You had hundreds of moms and dads. I didn't give up my family to follow church, but God has blessed me with hundreds of brothers and sisters and moms and dads and homes and fields, I guess. I don't know. That one hasn't come up yet, but it's there, I'm sure, somewhere. The, the, aside from my, my relatives, my, in fact, my parents, the church has been the most generous organization in my life, bar none. And I'm not just talking financially, although that's true. I'm talking about with advice, with correction, with, with discipline, with community, with companionship. When I started thinking about this, I was like, oh, how, how is that? Do I really have 100 times more family? Yes, you do. Let me just pause here just real quick and say one thing. The church has also been a place where I've received a lot of rebuke and reproof and correction and admonishment, things that don't always feel good. I think, I think, the, one of the difficulties, because there are people who say, I don't feel like I belong. People want to feel like they belong without allowing themselves to be accountable to anything Amen. or anyone. You, can, you will never feel like you truly belong unless you're in a community of people that can correct you. You won't feel like it because you will feel like there will always be limits on what they will actually say and do. They will always only be polite and nice. They will never say hard things. And unless you allow yourself to submit to other people who are kind and gracious and love you and want the best for you, you will never truly feel that sense of belonging. I think that's why we have an epidemic of people who feel disconnected from church because they have never allowed themselves to feel like they could actually be corrected by anyone at church. And they would just go down the road to the next place if it ever began to happen. I think that's a real problem. Yes. Um, just, uh, I mean, family. I mean, I just, I, I just, when I stopped, I started to be overwhelmed. And some of you are thinking, well, like, yeah, of course, Patrick, you're the churchiest church kid that ever was churched, right? You know, like, of course you, you have all that. Your parents are in the church. Your grandparents are in the church. Of course you have all these wonderful, loving connections. You have them. You may not know it, but you do. I guarantee you, if you're in the middle of podunk wherever and your car breaks down and you call a church person, they would find someone that knows someone that knows someone that will give you a tow or fix your car or give you a ride or whatever because it's family. We just don't always allow ourselves to be treated like family. I'll take care of myself. I'll do it myself. I'll put it on the credit card. But sometimes we just need to call up our family and allow them to family us. Sometimes that just needs to happen. So what's the secret? What's the secret? How do we discover that belonging? Patrick, you seem to have it. Okay, that's great. I like that. You know, I hope nobody spanks my kids, but by the way, can I just say that's not going to happen? At least, <laughs> at least uh, not going to happen with, uh, anyway, it's not going to happen. Nobody's going to spank your kids at church. That was like 40 years ago before we knew anything. We're, we're still, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. My, I, got, I got spanked a lot growing up. My wife would say not enough. How do, we discover, how do we discover that belonging community with this imperfect group of people? I, we want it. We long for it. 
As I'm describing it, I can tell there's, there's a desire in the room to have that. I want those kinds of connections. I want those intergenerational connections for my children. I want someone that I only tangentially know to sit down with my daughter and prepare her for college. I want those. We want those things. How do we discover? And I use the word discover because it is there we have to discover. it. We don't have to create it. It's there. This verse... This verse is a promise. No one who has to give up home. Oh, and, and can I just tell you this real quick? This is super nerdy, but I think this is interesting. I think it's worthwhile. The first list of home, brother, sister, family, field, all that, the first list is connected by this, this conjunction that says if you give up any one of these things, if you have to give up A, or if you have to give up B, or if you have to give up C, the next list is, con- is connected by a Greek conjunction that says you get all of these things. So it's not like, oh, I gave up a brother, I gain a brother. No, if you, have to, if you have to sacrifice anything in terms of home, you get it all. You get it all. There's this huge blessing that comes down from God in terms of family. So how do we, how, how do we live out this promise? This verse is a promise. You are the recipient of that promise. But here's what's crucial. Here's what we miss. You also participate in that promise. You are the grandparent and brother and sister, and you are the home that needs to be opened up for someone else that you don't know, and you're like, ooh, that makes me a little uncomfortable. But you are that person that not only benefits from the promise, but blesses others through the promise. You are the recipient of 100 times more homes, fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, but you are the homes and fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers for other people. We're not just bystanders or consumers in this promise. We're not just waiting for someone to come bless us. We are going out and we are benefiting and blessing others. See, we experience belonging by creating it for other people. We experience it by creating it for other people, by opening up our lives to others. And then we begin to feel those connections and experience that. But as long as we hold that off and we never actually allow that to come into our lives, we miss out on that blessing as well. Let me give you a vivid example of this. And I'm going to preface this by saying some of you are going to think I'm making it up for a preacher story. And it's not a preacher story. Um, You can ask anybody that was present. There's quite a few people in the room. Um, Teen camp. Teen camp is a, is a community on steroids and mosquitoes. That's teen camp. And it is an intense community. It is, it is like this, just you're, you're in it. You're involved in it. You're sleeping, eating, working, playing with people. It sounds a lot like Acts chapter 2. You know, they were with each other daily. Uh, so it's this intense community. There's a young man named Mike who's been coming to youth group. And uh, he's not from a believing family. He doesn't believe himself, and he's showing up at stuff, having a good time, but of course, all these conversations are strange to him. You know, when we open up this book and we're like, well, God said, he's like, what do you mean God said? What's that? just some book. Like, why wouldn't I read some other random book and say God said that? And, you know, he just doesn't have the same framework, and he's asking incredible questions, really good questions. And so... The first day of camp, you know, I'm directing. For some reason, they let me do that. And I'm doing the cabin checks at night. You know, hey, are you guys doing good? Everybody okay? Everybody alive? You got everybody in the cabin? Nobody's sneaking out, breaking any rules? Great. And I go into this cabin where Mike's staying. And Mike's sitting there on a chair. And he's got like four or five boys all around him. And they're like in this intense conversation. And I walk in. And they're like, oh, Patrick can answer that question. And I'm like, oh, what question? What question is this? Well, they had done a cabin devo out of the book of Daniel. And my kid said, why would I think that the book of Daniel is from God? And the boys were like, "Mm, good one. 
because it is, you know, and so they asked me and they said, hey, Patrick, what do you think? And I'm like, this is a great question. Like, here's some reasons why we think scripture is inspired, things like that. But, you know, those answers, sometimes you can tell they're just not really landing. He's like, he kept saying, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but I, I just don't get it. And I'm like, listen, I understand. I have a lot of the same questions you have, even have them. I just happen to believe in God. He's like, oh, I'm just not there yet. Okay, no problem, no problem. He got through this week of camp. And if, if you're at camp, you know, share this story. Friday night is just, everybody's wound up because it's the last night of camp and the kids know Saturday's coming and they all got to go home. So they're just like, they're just wired for sound. You might as well like pour, you know, a bunch of Red Bulls in them. They're just like bouncing off the walls. It's just like chaos and you're just trying to get them wound down and go to bed. You know, you're just trying to move them into the, you know, like the, let's go to bed. Everything's going to be great. So they're all in the dining hall. Everybody's wound up. Everybody's having a good time. Everybody's bouncing off the walls. It's noisy. It's chaotic. You know, it's the last night. Everybody's trying to enjoy one another's community one last time. And Mike stops everybody and he calms the whole room down and he gets everybody quiet and he stands up on a table and he makes this declaration to the room, you guys that were there. He stands up on the table and he says, hey, um, at the beginning of this week, I didn't get it. I didn't believe in God. I, don't, I didn't understand it. And he says, you, he's literally said this, you are such beautiful people and you have so showed me such love. He goes, I can confidently say that there is a God. Now, here's the thing. Mike did not get his questions answered. Do you know how he saw God? Not by getting the right answers, but by being part of a community of believers that revealed God's love to him. That's how it's always been done. It's never getting your answers, your questions answered. The questions that people were asking in the first century, they're still asking today. But when people see God through community, which is what Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, when they see God in the interactions with one another and express to them, they cannot help but believe, man, there must be a God. Caleb's going to get together with him and study and like get his faith feet under him, but it's just such an unbelievable story. It almost doesn't even sound true, but it's because he was surrounded by a community, and that's what we long for, but you know what? Steve talked about this a few weeks ago. You're going to walk out of here, and your schedule, your time, and your attention is going to be disintegrated from the community, and there are going to be Sunday mornings where you wake up and you're like, I don't know, I'm just not feeling church today, just not feeling it. And you're going to make a choice to not participate, whether it be in person or online, to not participate in that community. And you are going to find it more difficult to experience God because of that. That's just the way it is. No one who has failed to give up homes or mothers or fathers or brothers or sisters or fields will fail to receive 100 times more in this present age and eternal life in the age to come. That's a promise. There is power and potential in that promise. But here's the question we have to leave you with. How can you participate in that promise? How can you participate in it? Who can you open up your home to? Who can you drive around? Who can you help move? Who can you cook for? Who can you show up for? Who can you call? Who can you visit? Who can you spend time with? Who can you love and show the love of God to? Because this is intended to be a church family. Do we fall short? Yes. Is there potential for something incredible and beautiful? Absolutely. We're going we're gonna to transition into our, uh, our time of song. I'm going to invite the, the 
the uh, Alex and the others to come up and, and get start getting set up. But I just, I just want to challenge you. That, that community exists for you. It truly does. Whether you've felt it or not or experienced it or not, that community exists for you. How do we participate in that promise? Let's sing together.